message for the last year and a half has been that I've got to know so many of you, and uh, particularly Andrew, who is the steward, I would say, of a dead church, or perhaps not so dead. And I wanted just to him to share just for a minute or two just about some of the uh, exciting things that are going on at St. Julian's Church. Well, it's right when Martin says, uh, not entirely dead, um, it was in fact the, the most lively church in the whole of Shrewsbury at one stage, and at that point the church commissioners decided to close it. There were 200 coming in the evening, is that fairly lively? And then they decided to close it, despite the fact the vicar and congregation went up to London and said, please don't. So when God said, would you please open it again as a place of worship, what could we do but say yes? But it hasn't been easy, and so we would be very grateful for your prayers. Um, there are things happening. They're small, they're delicate, they're tender plants. But um, on Saturdays, we have a little group of some churched, some unchurched people, and they come together, and we uh, have an interactive Bible study and worship, which has been very good, um, but it, it needs prayer because the enemy, it's incredible how he's made a real onslaught. I tell you, I, I, I wouldn't want to, to describe it to you, but, but we've had tremendous attack. However, God wants to do it, and I believe he will win. The other thing which has pleased Martin <laughs> is that um, I was led by him to approach some of the six formers who congregate in the little graveyard behind us in the cold and the wet, and I said, could we be of any use to you? And they said, well, yes. They came and looked at it first, and they said, yeah, it'd be nice. We'd come in at lunchtime and have some drinks, and uh, we would like that. So, in fact, that's what's been happening for the last month or two, and we've got to know them, and they are the nicest people, believe me. They give the lie to young people being uh, yobs and so on. They're just so appreciative and so gentlemanly or ladylike, as the case may be. And we've really got to know them and love them. And when I had a birthday recently, they all sent me a card and signed it, all of them, which just made me want to weep. So thank you, Lord, for that. So the point about all this is, really, so please pray. If, you're, if you feel moved by that at all, would you pray that in some way they might want to ask something about our faith? Because I'm not going to lay our, our faith on them until they ask. You know, it's a case of giving an account, isn't it? So we're just asking God that they'll be moved to say, what makes you do this? Okay, so if you'd just like to pray, I'd be grateful. Thank you. So today's first reading is taken from Revelation 2, starting at verse 8 to verse 11. It's on page 1234, nice and easy, in your Bibles and in the pews. To the church in Smyrna. To the, church in, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. morning everybody everyone able to hear me okay well it's a pleasure to be here I got warmed up with a nine o'clock service so hopefully I can do a reasonable job of preaching to you it's a great pleasure to have that responsibility I was just saying before I haven't uh, preached regularly uh, for many years it was six years till I did my last sermon and that was on the pretty easy subject of sex and internet pornography my reward to, <laughs> to get to speak on dying and suffering for an encore. This is Balotelli, the Manchester City or Liverpool footballer, colourful character, always in trouble, victim, why always me? And, and I feel like him this morning. Um, so I'm not really qualified to, uh, to preach. I haven't been to theological college. I had no training. I just uh, stumbled into this by marrying an angel 25 years ago. Um, but I hope I do have a message. I'm going to try and deliver it graciously. Some of it may be challenging. I don't mean to offend anybody, but there's no point in me doing this if I don't do it um, to the best of my ability and, uh, and without the message I think God has for the church. So there's two sermons. The first one is on suffering, and the second one is on dying, but they are linked. So three questions like all good Anglicans. Is suffering good for the church? How do we respond to suffering? And how do we support others who are suffering? So, probably a stupid question, but is suffering good for the church? And thinking of the link between dying and suffering, I was thinking, is there a link there? Um, perhaps a degree of suffering is actually good for the church. Um, certainly thinking of the early church, the suffering and persecution did serve to disperse the gospel around the early world. So there was a role there. And then I was thinking about more recent examples in communist Russia, communist Romania, and modern Iraq. I'm trust, trusting you with me, Sarah. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. So um, <clears throat> this picture is of uh, Pastor Richard Wormbrand and his lovely wife, Sabina. Many of you will have uh, seen photographs of this gentleman before. So my children don't really remember the Cold War, the Iron Curtain, the overwhelming oppression of communism on the world, but particularly on its own people. Romania was ruled with an iron grip by a tyrant called Ceausescu, and Wormbrand spent decades of his life in prison for the crime of preaching the gospel. Wormbrand's prison shots show how disheveled he was the, and the tortures he endured and then the picture of him standing before the United States Senate in 1966 testifying to the cruelty and tortures he endured in the name of the gospel. And then bringing it right up to the present modern day Iraq. A picture of Canon Andrew White who's the vicar of Baghdad. I subscribe to his Facebook page as thousands of others do and it's regularly uh, regular accounts of even the watered-down versions are harrowing of the persecutions endured by Christians in modern-day Iraq. 
I don't think persecution is good. Persecution is good for Christians in Iraq. I think it's almost certain, barring a miracle, that they will be Christianity will be extinguished from Iraq, and that's a, a terrifying and desperate tragedy after two thousand years. So, in thinking about is suffering good for the church, I had to conclude that probably not. I don't know the mind of God. And it is theoretically possible that bearing in mind the example of Jesus, that very occasionally suffering is allowed for a greater good. But I know God is a loving Father who means only the best for His children. So I conclude that suffering isn't good for the church, as certainly is a generality. But later we may need to consider is complacency or the absence of persecution bad for the church? The second question, how do we respond to suffering? That's a really difficult one, because if I have no credibility to actually preach to you, I have zero credibility talking about suffering, because I've, I've not endured any or trivial levels, certainly persecution or suffering for my faith. So what I will do, I will refer to Wormbrand for his take on suffering, just very briefly. He, he meant, talks about Christians facing not the problem of evil, but the challenge of evil. For us, it was enough that communists tortured us. We decided not to add self-inflicted torments, such as philosophizing about the unknowable. Every torment, was, every torment was only a challenge to surmount the biggest obstacle to win the tormentor through love. Now, if and when we do face suffering, I can only guess that the best way to respond is with graciousness and forgiveness. Might responding to might just leads to destruction. An eye for an eye leads to two blind people. I think it can only be with grace and forgiveness. And another example of a colleague of Richard Wormbrand who spent decades in jail. This is from Wormbrand's book, From Torture to Triumph, in 1991, after the fall of Ceausescu. He tells the story of his friend, the priest Demeter, who, was, when he was in jail, a warden amused himself by beating him again and again with a hammer on the back. As a result, Demeter was paralyzed and had lain unable to move for 20 years. Now there was a revolution, Ceausescu had been overthrown, and the security, security officer who had destroyed his life came to Demeter's door and said, I know I cannot be forgiven. What I did was too heinous, but only listen to my words of apology and I will go. The priest replied, for 20 years I have prayed for you daily. I waited for you. You are forgiven. This is the essence of Christianity. Any other attitude is not. When Jesus taught us the Our Father to make sure we understood the most important part of it, he added immediately, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The third question, how do we support others who are suffering? People will be familiar with a well-known verse from Matthew, Matthew 25, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink? There's a line also, I was in prison, 
and you came to visit me. Many of us have probably done prison visiting over the years, but for many of the Christians around the world, we can't really go and visit them. It's too far. We wouldn't gain access, but it's really vital that they know they're not forgotten, and it's really vital that their captors know they're not forgotten. So I'm very grateful for Andrew in a second way this morning because he's kindly allowed me to bring in a number of flags he keeps at St. Judas from around the world, all uh, countries where Christians face a high degree of persecution. There's some individual stories and some background on there. And I think time probably doesn't permit us to spend too long on this morning, but certainly over coffee, if you do have time, please do wander around, have a look, see if one is put on your heart, see if you can perhaps write even one letter a month to a persecuted Christian somewhere around the world. It does make a difference. If we look at the next slide, back to Wormbrand. He said, he said, let us be on the side of those who sit in jails and are sentenced to death for their faith. Let us pray for them and help them. And the modern quote from a recently released prisoner in Cuba, these letters mean so much to us. We know they are from people all over the world. And when we hold these cards, it is as if the people who wrote them are here in the room with us. So, conclusion of this first part, um, clearly some good can come out of suffering, but I personally conclude it's only very rarely, if ever, in God's plan for us. Complacency may be a greater risk to the church, which I'll come to shortly, and I would urge you and challenge you to pray and write letter to prisoners for Christ. Thank you. Reading is... Uh, from Revelation 3, uh, starting at verse 1 to verse 6. To the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. So, three more questions. Are we a dying church? Who do we exist for? Are we irrelevant? Addressing the first question, are we a dying church? The thing that struck me most in the Bible reading about the church in Sardis is that it wasn't dead in the sense that St. Julian's is dead. It was a church that existed. It just was a church that wasn't going to exist for much longer. 
if they didn't change very quickly. It was a dying church, but it still had a pulse. Church attendance, certainly in the Western world, has been falling for decades. Since the Second World War, we had the permissive society, the sexual revolution of the 60s, the rise of militant atheism in the 80s and 90s, the competition for Sunday leisure activities, Sunday shopping, Sunday sports. At the same time, other faith attendances are rising. It's very likely that in 10 years, Christianity will no longer be the dominant religion in the United Kingdom, certainly in terms of measured in attendance at places of worship. That would probably be Islam. The question of whether, whether other faiths will be as tolerant as we have been, I will leave hanging, but you can draw your own conclusions. On the question of what and who do we exist for, we exist really for one main reason, and that is to glorify God. But we also exist to support and strengthen each other, and we exist to be beacons of light in a dark world. These are my friends I play football with. It's my football club. We're really good footballers, hence our uh, team name of Wooden Legs Football Club. Um, but they're a really nice bunch of people. Um, sat around the table are a senior social worker who works in child protection, a judge, um, someone who's an international expert in water management, a security guard, an IT specialist who lost his wife two years ago, a wedding photographer, and two people who work in sales. They're really nice people. The problem is, if they came into this church, which is very unlikely, would they feel at home? I have to say almost certainly not. Most of what we do is quite countercultural to these men, and we have an image problem, particularly with men. The next slide, is, the writing is quite small, so I'll actually read it out, but this is uh, taken from the Fresh Expressions website, and it's a breakdown of the population in this country Basically, in, 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 in answering two questions, do you go to church at all or not at all? Are you open to church or closed to church? So regular church goes, and that's, i.e., at least monthly, account for 15%. Fringe church goes, that is maybe six times a year, 4%. Open D church, i.e., used to go and open to returning, are 11%. Closed D church, i.e. used to go and no plans to return, 31%. Open non-church, never been but open, 3%. Closed non-church, never been and no intention of going, 26%. And other religions, a relatively small 6%, but pound for pound, more obviously committed so taking these stats, that would give us closed, de-churched, and closed, non-churched at 57%. These figures are a little out of date, so let's round it up to 66% or two-thirds. So two-thirds of the country, this country, is closed to church. So we have a huge problem. So how do we respond? 
Well, I think it's really two ways. Firstly, we have to do what we do well, even better. We also have to do church very differently. In both ways, it's about entertaining angels. So doing what we do well better. I put get right with God at the top not to be um, rude or insulting or patronizing, but because it's something that I need to do and it may be something that some of you need to do as well. I'm sort of right with God, but in many ways I'm not. Wormbrand said that Christian faith is like flu. It's infectious. Once you have it, you can't help but pass it on. Yeah, difficult, if I'm honest. We need to make this place a place where love is just obvious and palpable. We need to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. People will know the list, but just to jog memories, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Talk about five fruits a day. Why not five times a day demonstrate these values in and out of church? We need to encourage one another and build each other up. 31% of the population used to come to church and are close to coming back. I guess a portion of them left because we hurt each other. We don't mean to, but we do. Maybe they should have been big enough to forgive, but maybe they shouldn't have been hurt in the first place. We need to encourage each other. Does Tim know how much we value him? Does he know how much we thank him for his leadership, which is probably at times appallingly difficult thing to do? Are we grateful for, for Joyce, for working in the office for a thousand years or however many? <laughs> Are we grateful to the wardens? Are we grateful to all the many people who, who do things unsung behind the scenes? And do we thank each other and do we encourage each other? We kind of need to be roped together like mountaineers. We're going to slip and stumble and fall, but we have to pick each other up. But we're all in it together. We've got a very high mountain to climb, and we can't do it alone. And then doing things differently. Again, get right with God. But we need to become relevant. Fresh expressions movement talks about reimagining things we might also need to reinvent things but it in either case we're really just doing what paul said thousands of years ago which is to be all things to all people and meet them where we are we've heard some fantastic examples of this with the youth church with the coffee in the living room and at saint julian's but we need to keep doing this and more we need to give our time and we need to give our money. This is not a money sermon, but uh, we've already heard that finances are difficult. If this matters to, it, to us, we're going to have to pay. We need to look at our finances, and if we're spending more on our foreign holidays or our gym membership, we need to review it, because it's going to cost blood, sweat, tears, and money to turn the church around. And I'm challenging myself primarily in that statement.
But we need to entertain angels, really, and we, we need to hospitable. We've got many angels already here in Christchurch. Most of them come regularly from York House, which is the York House residence and their carers, but we've got many others. We've got some teenagers who live around here who spend most evenings uh, high on uh, dope. They come in. My great friend Graham Seed is a guardian angel these days, and he saved my son's life. But 20 years ago, he was an alcoholic, drug-addicted tramp living on a park bench. And he wasn't the most obvious guardian angel. So we probably know scumbags of our own who are guardian angels in disguise. And we need to reach out to them. They're not going to come to this building. We need to find them where they are. If it's a park bench, wherever they are. So to summarize... I mean no offense, but an honest, stark appraisal of the situation strikes me that the church is slowly dying in the West. Within a generation, it may not be the dominant faith in the UK. Last year, early this year, we looked at the story of Gideon. And I have to say, I think it's time to get out of our caves and fight before it's too late. So challenge... And then some prayer. The challenge is something I've already done, so I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done. I put this on my Facebook page purely for my friends who are not regular churchgoers, and I asked them the question, what, if anything, would it take for the church to be relevant to you? And I got about three or four very honest, deep, searching uh, responses. And unless we know where to meet them, we can't go and find them. Um, and uh, I, I would challenge you, I've got some of this printed off on slips. If you'd like to take one away, give it to a friend who's not, or a family member who's not currently going to church. Bring it back in the next few weeks. There'll be a box put at the back with a name, with the title What on it. And if you could put them in, we'll write it up and we'll see if there's any ideas in there. So thank you for listening. I say once again, I hope no offense has been caused because it was absolutely not intended. But I feel very, very challenged that we need to make a stand for the church for future generations. So I'd now like to go into a time of prayer. I was going to invite people to contribute in prayer, but the handheld mic is, uh, is down. So I will just, you'll have to put it with my voice a short while longer. But I'd like to pray if it's okay for the staff team, for Team Christ Church, which is every member of the church, for the wider church, and then for those outside of the church, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, I really want to thank you for the staff team here at Christ Church. Thank you for Tim and Kate as they lead it, and for all the other valued members for Joyce and Emma and Ben and Laura and Brian and Maria and anyone else who I've foolishly forgotten. I pray that you will um, help them to, uh, to be bursting with love for you and to be committed to uh, helping the church to develop its ministry and just an outpouring of love cascading out of those doors into the wider community. I pray you will help the staff team and the PCC as they wrestle with difficult decisions about the finances. No easy answers, Lord, but I ask that you give them grace and wisdom.
I pray for every member in this church. Help us to take responsibility for our faith and our church. Help us to look for ways to make a difference, to give of our time and our money and our talents. I pray for the wider church. God, please help us to be relevant. Help us not to be known as the church that's anti-women, the church that's anti-gay, the church that is disconnected from where people are living out real lives in the real, real world. And I pray particularly for this world, for all those who don't know you. I pray that you'll be working in the lives of so many of our friends and family, that you'll make them open to the gospel. I pray that you will transform this country, help it to once again be a Christian country. And please give leaders in, in the world grace and wisdom not to return might with might, but might with love. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.